welcome to episode 23, special free agency edition. We've had a couple of weeks off uh, due to circumstances beyond our control, but we are back this week. And it's probably good to come back this week because most of the free agency moves have been made. Um, not a lot of sort of players uh, left, big names. I think the biggest name left is Corbell Pope from Detroit. But uh, how are you tonight, Daz? Still... Um beaming from the excitement of Aaron Baines' new contract. So that was, I think, the last move here, Daz. Well, actually, Alan, just before <laughs> we went on air, I think Alan Williams re-signed with the Suns. So um, oh, one of your go. fantasy okay. sleepers from last year. But no, Aaron Baines, look, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that signing. Actually, I yeah. think uh, Zach Lowe said he might watch out for that. He, he predicted that that might be a good signing for the Celtics. So um, it was good to see another Aussie find a home, a lot less than what he signed on for in Detroit only a couple of years ago. But um, he, he'll, he'll no doubt play big minutes for them, you'd think given their front court situation at the moment. So how we're going to do this tonight, Daz, we're going to work our way through all 30 teams. Obviously, some teams will spend longer on than others. Um, We'll push it out to a two-parter if we need to. Um, We'll try and sort of be as quick as we can on most of these teams. Um, And obviously, some will spend more time on than others, given how much shake-up there's been uh, at different teams across the league. So... Uh, and I know you've sort of prepared some movies for these teams, some pop culture references, so hopefully we can have a bit of fun with that as we work our way through as well. So it's probably good to start with the champions. Uh, so we'll start in the West, and uh, we'll start with uh, the Golden State Warriors. And I didn't think it was possible, but they've probably had the best free agency of any team in terms of they've actually improved their team, in my view at, at least. Um, if you go through the moves that they made, <clears throat> they brought obviously they re-signed their main players in Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, um, as well as bringing in Omri Caspi, Aniguadala, uh, and uh, Livingston. Obviously, they were re-signings as well. Uh, Nick Young came in as well. Um, they've still got a massive weakness at centre, unfortunately, because they brought back their starting centre from last year, uh, and David West is the other guy that's come back. So, yeah, massive moves to me for them. But what did you make uh, briefly of their off-season? Generally, they're, they're bringing the same cast back. But Caspian and, uh, is a very nice addition. And Nick Young, look, he's one of those guys. If they get nothing out of him, I don't think they're going to be too worried about it. Uh, but he is a guy that can maybe give them some instant, instant offense off the bench at certain times. And I think anything he gives them is a bonus. Yeah, look, the rich get richer. You know, it started with the... Um, says less about Golden State and more about the incompetence of Garpax of getting the number 38 pick in the draft for cash. I mean, widely lauded as the almost a quintessentially perfect fit for Golden State and, and Jordan Bell. So that's a big addition. Um, we'll see if the guy can play, but when you think about just a team who's spending a bazillion dollars, you know, that's a great acquisition to buy a really nice second round pick. And uh, yeah, same thing, buying low on Caspi, just smart shrewd use of the, of the few dollars they did have over the tax with Caspi, who had some injury stuff last year and obviously bounced around. So I think a, a great buy low on him and Nick, Nick Young, as long as, you know, not stooping it to Steve Kerr's wife or Mike Brown's <laughs> wife or Steve Kerr's husband. I'm not sure what side of the fence Steve is on, but as long as Nick can sort of, you know, I think that sort of locker room culture, that's why my, my movie metaphor for Golden State was, um, was definitely Sex in the City. 
you know, all, all the girls are back together. They're always <laughs> having a laugh. They're all doing shopping. You know, you're getting their beards trimmed. You know, it's all just a bit of fun. You know, lots of noise, but not really anything happens. And, you know, everything's sort of beautiful and perfect in the end. So it's uh, definitely Sex in the City sort of mood out there right now. Yeah, my my, uh, my movie for the Warriors, I'm not going to do this for every team, but I might chip in with the occasional one. My movie was Predator because I think as scary <laughs> as they are, I keep looking back to that uh, two and a half quarters where the Spurs kicked their ass in the um, game one of the Western Conference Finals, and I think of the line, if it bleeds, we can kill it. So I'm hoping that that, that can be extrapolated out across the series next year. But look, uh, keep it brief with the Warriors, obviously bringing back the team. There was a couple of little quirks, I suppose, with the contracts. Nick, the fact that they signed Nick Young to the middle of exception meant that they can only uh, get Jordan Bell for two years before he becomes an unrestricted free agent unless I'm mistaken there. Um, so there's a, that, that could be a little bit of an issue for them if he does play well early on. Um, and the other thing is I read today they may be leaving their 15th roster spot open, which will save them some money, um, obviously because they're well into the tax. And there's talk about their tax bill being up around the $400 million mark. So whether their ownership has the appetite to pay that much to continue to keep this team together going forward, we'll have to wait and see. Because uh, Kevin Durant will be a free agent again next year. So I think you know the talk about him leaving all money on the table is a little bit overblown because I think it'll come back to him um, by the, when all is said and done. A lot of that money would come back to him anyway compared to what he could sign on at, at this year so um, let's move on to the next team the, <clears throat> the second best team in the NBA uh, the San Antonio Spurs and they really pretty much uh, I remember, I remember talk, we've talked about this and we really talked about it when they exited the Western Conference Finals and I sort of felt there was a, a reasonable chance they'd stand pat um, the one player I didn't expect the Spurs would bring back was Paddy Mills, and that was the first signing they made. Uh, my understanding of what the Spurs did is they sort of snipped around a few free agents. Obviously, Chris Paul fell fairly early. They didn't even end up getting a meeting with him. They snipped around George Hill's price. They heard of Paul Millsap's price, and they just thought, this is too expensive for us at the moment. We'll re-sign our own guys and keep our powder dry for next year. Depending on how the chips fall next year, they could have as much as $50 million in cap space. Uh, and the, at worst case scenario, they've got about $30 million in cap space for next year. So I think they're going to be much bigger players in next year's free agency, and with a lot of teams now capped out, I actually, from a Spurs point of view, I actually like what they've done in this uh, off-season. You know, obviously, you, you can't be overly excited about their chances of beating the Warriors next year, but let's see what they're able to do in free agency. I think I think this this off-season for the Spurs was much more about what they're going to do next summer than what they're going to do next season. Yeah, so I think so my, my theme for the year then is uh, is dead men walking. I don't think there's any doubt that this was this was maybe plan C or plan D for the Spurs, the way things unfolded. If if Rudy Gay is your plan A, then you're 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 bullshitting me, right? So yeah. I think you're perhaps you're saying the same thing, is that they probably kicked the tires on, on some things, probably tried to offload LMA. I have no doubt they probably kicked the tires on that, but weren't gonna you know staple a whole bunch of picks to offload them and or you know sell them at a super deep discount, which um, or eat a whole bunch of his contract or something like that. They just they thought let's let's roll the team back out. Um, uh, and I say also dead men walking is 
described by the looks of it, and you tell me differently if sounds like Powell um, with uh, TP is under contract again, but Powell yep. and Manu are likely to come back. Yep. And so I just I, I worry about, you know, where's the internal development coming from? Is it going to be enough to close the gap, you know, between them and Golden State? Probably not as it sits today, but, you know, crazier things have happened with, with pop coach teams. So um, I love their draft. I loved Derek White. Was a really nice fit. I thought Mills was a bit of an overpay, but not crazy. You know, that's it's a that's a pretty movable guy if he can still hit, you know, thirty to forty percent from three. It's a pretty movable contract if they wanted to. So, yeah, maybe dead men walking is a bit harsh. I just don't think they close the gap. Um, but um, yeah, well, maybe, maybe the, the only argument comes from the the only argument, I guess, the rest of it. Yeah, the, the only argument the Spurs might make is that they don't believe there was that much of a gap to begin with. Um, given what they did in that very small sample size at the start of the Western Conference Finals. Personally, I don't share that view, but I'm, I'm rooting more and more. Yeah. They actually don't mind where their team's at. Why not roll it out again? They won 61 games last year, and that easily could have been 64, 65. They sort of put the queue in the rack last four or five games of the season. Um, and I think, you know, they like... DeJounte Murray, uh, Derek White, I think I'll spend a bit of time in the G League. I'm not sure we'll see that much of him. Uh, Bryn Forbes is lighting up the Summer League as we speak, so don't, you don't get too carried away by that. But uh, he's looked good, so there's every chance they'll bring him back, maybe develop him a little bit more as well. Um, so I think there's going to be guys that'll... They'll, they'll do their usual and play their sort of 12 to 15 guys, give it plenty of guys reps in that first term, and then they can make some more informed decisions uh, at the end of next or during next summer. So, but look, no, as a Spurs fan, I don't think you can get that excited about what they did. Um, but as I say, I think they they kicked the tyres on a few things. I think they you'll probably find they had a trade lined up for Danny Green. If a good deal eventuated, then they were going to move on from his salary. There wasn't much remark for Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, they tried moving him for the number four pick, which of course would have been Josh Jackson, but uh, the Suns weren't biting on that. So they're, they're going to hold on to Lamarcus again, and he, he may very well opt into his contract for his final year, but he it might be also an, a matter where he's much easier to move as an expiring contract uh, in next summer if they have to move on from that contract. So we'll talk much more about the Spurs, no doubt, as the season goes on. Um, the team that we sort of, I guess you and I have gone back and forth on and, and never seem to be able to agree on the trajectory of this team is the Houston Rockets. And they had probably the biggest move uh, of the off-season in bringing in Chris Paul. Um, I've got to sort of bring it up here because they moved that many different players out. It's hard to keep track um, of the... The salary cap machinations of the trade were quite unbelievable um, when you actually broke it down. That, that was the most impressive part. But I know we both have differing takes about how high we are on this trade, but I'll, I'll get your take first and then I might come in with my sort of uh, contrarian view, if you like. Yeah, sure. Look, my, um, my, my movie metaphor is lethal weapon, right? <laughs> this is putting Danny Glover and uh, Mel Gibson together, you know, two diabolically opposed personalities, um, diametrically opposed. I think is probably the word I'm looking for with Chris Paul, right? Point God, um, breathes fire, screams at his teammates. There's that intense, and not in a nice way, competitor that we all know we've been. He's been throughout his career with, you know, a super beard, um, James Harden. But I'm, 
like I think we've we've chronicled a what felt like a fifty hour <laughs> nonstop uh, messenger dialogue about about this team. But I'll talk take it from a few angles. I'll try to be brief. Number one, um, the creativity of Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey, yeah, Daryl Morey um, can't be understated here. Um, I'll talk a lot about now and probably into the future about just constantly thinking about question, does the organization have a clear direction? Do their, does their front office align to that direction and to be able to execute it and just have the, the courage and the conviction to do a trade like that um, speaks volumes of the team, the, the motivation for doing it, right? When some of this narrative, you know, after the most uh, anticlimactic, albeit highly rated finals was, um, you know, our team's just going to wait out Golden State and LeBron, going to wait them out and just sort of everyone keep their powder dry and sort of co-tank at the same time. And a team like Houston says, fuck that. We're loading up, man. We're going to make a run. We think we're getting close. We've got a chance to get a superstar like Chris Paul. Um, they've done it. So if I'm a Houston fan, I love it. If I'm a Houston player, I probably love it even more. Um, if I'm James Harden, I... I love it for all the reasons that you and I chronicled, but in short, right, Harden's entire career has been as a two. I don't think it's going to be much problem at all with Chris Paul handling most of the initial um, offense initiation. Um, With Harden playing a two, it allows Harden to rest a lot more. It also allows them an awesome ability to stagger their minutes. Look, their off and on wasn't as crazy as LeBron's or Russell's were with their two teams, but uh, Harden off the floor was a major problem. Um, last year, which is part of that we saw manifest with him completely running out of gas, to say the least, you know, um, in the uh, conference semifinals. So, um, look, I love it for a lot of reasons. And the implic- the downside is the same downside they faced last year was the both the organizational philosophy and the roster construction just doesn't have a lot of depth. And I think a lot of us were screaming for, for Decker and Montrez to get some playing time in the playoffs, even if it's 10 minutes a game and D'Antoni refused and those kids have been jettisoned off and, you know, in favor for Chris Paul and, and, um, and PJ Tucker. And so from a front office ownership, confidence in the team on court product, um, fascinating ability now with, with PJ, Chris Paul, uh, Trevor Ariza to play some really legitimately super strong perimeter defense. If they have to, they've got a mid range offensive game you know, with, with Chris um, and his ability to shoot from the mid-range and off the bounce. Um, I just think that makes them, if not the most fascinating team, the most perhaps even the most dangerous team. Will it work from day one? Don't know. But I think it's a far greater chance to work than, let's say, when we're going to shift to probably interesting team number two, Oklahoma City. I think this is, uh, we're selling him short. If you don't look at that top eight and go, that is a that is a dead serious team um, to play with. So, I love it from a lot of different directions. It doesn't mean it's going to be 65 wins, but I think the, if I'm a fan or a player, I'm, I'm loving what they're doing. Uh, well, let me to retort. So <laughs> <laughs> you did well to sort of, you're like, I could hear the breath what, <laughs> trying to jump in there. So yeah. Uh, um, look, the first thing I'll say is that there is a real competitive advantage in knowing the CBA and knowing it back to front. So credit to Houston, the, the 
genius of this trade was the fact that they got all those matching salaries, but at the end of it, they made sure they were over the cap, which opened up their mid-level exception and the room exception for them. So that was it was a genius trade on that part in terms of how they made all the salaries work. So I have no problem with that. Um, the problems with the is with the fit. This this really does look to me and sound to me like 2012 LA Lakers. And, I, and, and people have a, a, liked to rewrite the history of, of that move when they brought Dwight Howard in. So they had Power Gasol, Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash. Now, it's good to look back on that now and say, of course that wasn't going to work. Well, at the time, people kept saying, there's too much talent on the floor. They've just signed a superstar player at Dwight Howard. And at that time, he was the best centre in the league. You're pairing him with Kobe Bryant. Power Gasol, Steve Nash. Then, of course, Mike Brown started the season, and then who comes in? Mike D'Antoni. Total anti-D'Antoni term, with the exception of Steve Nash, and it doesn't work. Swept in the first round uh, by the Spurs that season, albeit with an injured Kobe Bryant, but you couldn't see that team going forward. It was a real disaster. Dwight Howard doesn't re-sign. He bolts to Houston after that. This stings me, and, and the point I'd make, well, I'd make several points, but in, in the a couple of the points, the main points I'd make here is this. You just said James Harden's the two, and I think you, you, you're sort of caught as in old school thinking there. And what I mean by that is Brad Stevens made this point, and I thought it was 100% right. He said, old positions don't exist anymore. He said, you've now really got three positions in the court. You've got ball handlers, wings, and bigs. Okay? Now, Houston... And, and I mean, the, the staggering minutes is all overblown too, and I'll get to that in a moment. But essentially, you, you've got a five-man unit. Let's say it's going to be Harden, Paul, uh, PJ Tucker, Ariza, and Capella. Now, maybe Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon come in, you know, and then they wanders in every now and again. Fine. That, that's your eight-man unit, which, by the way, they don't, you say they don't have much depth. They've got zero depth, absolutely zero depth now. Not, not one player you'd trust outside of that eight. And then he's 36 and has broken down before. Chris Paul played 61 games last year. That's another sort of question mark I have over this signing. But you've now got, to back to the original point, you've now got two ball handlers, right? And you've actually got the two best ball, or two of the, what, the three best ball handlers in, in the NBA, depending on how you feel about Russell Westbrook, okay? And Steph Curry, I guess, Um you're asking one of them to now, we don't want you to have the ball. Now, the problem with that is the guy that's going to give up the ball is James Harden, who happens to be the best ball handler in the NBA. So you're now asking, the let's say, the second or third best ball handler, he's going to have it, and now James Harden becomes a wing, for, for want of a better term. Okay, Now, he's still going to be a very good player in that sense, and I'm sure he'll hit a lot of shots, he might score some baskets, but he's not going to be the great player that we saw last year. He's not going to be an MVP level candidate playing that role. Okay. And if you talk about staggering the minutes, well, you've just gathered your roster. So I'm not really afraid if Chris Paul's running out there with Ariza, PJ Tucker, Ryan Anderson and Capella, no one's shaking their boots about that five man unit. That's, that, that's not pushing anyone. So you can't stagger the minutes too much. I can't see that that five man unit doing anything fantastic. Um, so I just look at it and I think the overlapping skill sets are just sort of cancelling each other out here. You know, 
Yes, Chris Paul can hit, hit threes, but so can Patrick Beverley. And Patrick Beverley was a first-team All-NBA defence point guard last year, paying $5 million. So I look at it as well, and I think, what would I rather have? Patrick Beverley at $5 million, who, if James Harden's got the ball in his hands, does pretty much everything Chris Paul does, and maybe does it better. He shot 41% from three last year. I think he's just as good, if not a better defender than Chris Paul at this stage. And you've got, or you've got Chris Paul at $25 million. And if you bring Chris Paul in, you're taking the ball out of James Harden's hands. I just think, I think there's other things they could have done. And maybe, look, maybe this would, to me it just seemed like Daryl Morey said, I want to get the biggest name free agent and we'll work out the fit later. Get the talent in, we'll work out the fit later. Well, he's done that in the past. He did it with Josh Smith. It blew up in his face. He did it with Dwight Howard. It blew up. He did it with Ty Lawson. It blew up. He's now done it with Chris Paul. Assumingly, you would assume they're going to look at signing Chris Paul for the five-year full max at the end of this season. So now you're locked into this roster of James Harden, Chris Paul, if he re-signs. Um, Chris Paul, has he going to age? As I said, he played 61 games last year. I'm not convinced he's going to age brilliantly as a player. Um, and the other point, so the, the other final two points I'd make is I think they could have, would have been much better off making a run at Gordon Haywood. Um, and whether Haywood had any interest playing there, I don't know. Um, maybe you look at Paul, uh, Paul George and maybe you swing for the fences, but you don't have to give up quite as much, obviously, to get Paul George in. I think that's a much better fit for this team, and obviously you're able to keep Patrick Beverley there, who I absolutely love as a player. Um, and the, the the second point that I would make on that is <clears throat> that someone's got to, something's got to give here, right? So in the video sessions last year, Mike D'Antoni used to stop the video session. Uh, he used to stop the tape, and point out guys that shot mid-range jumpers. He just hates the shot, right? So, yeah, you know this. Who shot the most mid-range jumpers in the NBA last year? Chris Paul. That's right. Do you think, He's do really you, good at it. Does Chris Paul like to play seven seconds or less, push the ball up the floor really quick? That's not his style mm. either. I'm sure he can do it, but it's not necessarily the style that he, he prefers to play. So something's got to give here, right? Mike D'Antoni's obviously either got to embrace that mid-range game, slow the game down a bit. Who knows whether it's going to come down to... um, But I do think D'Antoni's going to have to change a bit. And we've seen D'Antoni in many stops over his career. This is not a guy that's prone to changing the way he does things. So I don't know how much of that you want to unpack now, Daz. No doubt we'll see how uh, how it all unfolds as the season goes on. But I'll let you sort of... Pick that. Pick some of that apart now, uh, if you if you wish. Look, I think the um, I, I'm probably just more confident. So, just on the confident, the question of position. Let me just re- change my semantics. James Harden has played off ball for the bulk of his career and been, you know, an All NBA player. Last year was the first time he really right, initiated all of the offense. And I delivered a performance like he did in that for the first time in that system. All I'm saying is that when you've got point guard coming to your team, let's not let's not make any bones about it. Chris Paul is a better all-around point guard than James Harden. James Harden is a scintillating pick and roll decision maker, but he doesn't have 
what Chris Paul has in terms of just an overall creativity of his game to run an offense. But let me That's stop the you there. What, what, who would you rather have the ball in their hands for D'Antoni's offense, right? Chris Paul or James Harden? Well, I guess this is my point, right? So if, if you're suggesting that to bring in P.J. Tucker and Chris Paul and re-signing May is an indication they're going to trot out you know, the, the seven seconds or less, I think we're going to see modifications just by the nature of the, of the personnel. If you don't see modification to the system in some way, like it's not going to be a whole philosophical overhaul. It's not going to suddenly be minimize the minimize, uh, sorry, minimize the number of possessions and grind the shot clock down. We're not going to see that. But what I'm saying is what's going to change is the way the offense is initiated and a lot of the questions, you know, after the, the post-mortem on, on Houston was are, as efficient as and effective he and Russ have, he and Russ were, they're highly predictable. When a defense can set and predict, especially in a long series, where you know 99% of the time when the offense is coming down the court, it's going to be James Harden, PNR. And over a course of 82 games, pretty, pretty effective. But when you can game plan for it, um, it's a lot easier to game plan for in the playoffs. And so I think the, the versatility that it allows for them to create on offense, and I, I'm not sure we could debate the merits of is Chris Paul $15 million or $5 million or $9 million better than Patrick Beverly, but I don't think we should waste our listeners' time with the, no offense, but Patrick Beverly isn't better than Chris Paul by just about anything. You could argue the right is it twenty million different or eleven million different, but um, the, I just think the the versatility on offense is going to be fascinating, and their defensive capabilities will be better, and their mid range is better. I go, weren't those the things we were criticizing them for for not having last year? Not enough perimeter D, not enough variability in their offense, and not enough of their, I guess, using the whole floor on the offensive end. I go, they just sort of ticked all three boxes. The depth is still the problem. And that remains a problem. And that's, I think, you and I also, that's the thing we didn't talk about. But if the Chinese kid and Hartenstein and Charlemagne and Quartermain and, and yeah. Napoleon and whoever else they're pulling out to fill out the, the roster, they are an injury, right? Now, I think it's a, they got some short-term injury insurance, right? If Harden goes down and, or, you know, Chris Paul, I think it's unfair to also criticize Chris Paul for injury. He caught his thumb on a guy's jersey, right? He tore a thumb ligament last year. That's why he missed 20 games. He's not Blake Griffin fragile. So I think there's a bit of superstar insurance. You know, if Hard misses a month, you know, they're going to probably keep on keeping on. However, when it comes playoff time, you're right. Their their depth is still is still razor thin. So they need a lot of stuff to break, right, and to be really healthy going into April to have a real chance. But obviously I'm much more – optimistic about their fit mm. look I, I if if james harden I, I want the ball in james harden's hands and given that i want the ball in james harden's hands i'm much happier having patrick beverly as my point guard than i, I don't think i need chris paul i think that's the way it, where i come at it from but look we can agree to disagree well, on that you you know we could go around we could like maybe don't, don't, don't underestimate as well that's why i mentioned i think our first our little our first digital chat around this back and forth was this is where Chris Paul wanted to be. This wasn't, I think, Daryl Morey trying to grab headlines. This was a Chris Paul had already opted out, remember, 
And then it became clear that he, he put it to the right brand new sheriff in town, um, Jerry West in town saying, right, you know, I'm kind of with Bill Simmons here call, labeling Doc Rivers lazy. Let's call him passive and conflicted at best. I'm not willing to call him lazy because I don't obviously I don't follow these teams to understand Doc Rivers work habits the way Bill Simmons, a season ticket holder, would. But he calls Doc Rivers lazy. Let's call him passive at best. And when you have that deep, deep, deep relationship with your point guard, right, that you do, how are you going to actually then suddenly change your change your hat, change the, the pin on your lapel and suddenly become the president of basketball operations and make harder decisions? That's conflicted, right? And so I have a feeling here what's happened is that, and it probably will come out eventually, Chris Paul opted out. He's bolting and made it very clear to the ownership that, you know what, here's a place I'd play. Hey, you can find a way to make it go to Houston. Go for it. Suddenly call inbound to Houston, right? This isn't Daryl Morey shopping. This is an inbound phone call to Houston. And Daryl Morey's like, holy buckets. If I can get a dollar for 10 nickels, I'm going to do it. So I think it was a hugely opportunistic um, thing on Morey's end, just like James Harden was when he became available. So I think it's a value creation play. I think just on the trade value itself, put the on-court stuff aside just for the moment, I think it's imp- almost impossible to argue that getting Chris Paul for Sam Decker, Montrez, a wasted contract, and Lou Williams, who had no value coming back. He was a good gamble for a playoff run. It didn't work, right? So shedding $7 million on a Lou Williams this year, again, that you have to look at that when you look at this, the Patrick Beverly attractive contract, you know, and what they gave up to get, um, to get Chris Paul, frankly, is... I think you'd have a hard time even arguing the value it was decidedly one-sided. And so Chris Paul wanted to be there. So I think the motivation behind this thing, this is not the arranged marriage and the fucked up arranged um, polygamous marriage that was Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard, and whoever else, not to mention Kobe was 35 and Steve Nash was 38. Right? Chris Paul's 31, James Harden's 28. So this, these guys are on the verge of breaking down the way the two fossils were in Los Angeles, you know, with the, the coach that inherited them. So I think that's a bit of a – that's a stretch to kind of make that parallel. Chris Paul wanted to be there, tried to be there. Phoenix traded poor Steve Nash because Los Angeles wanted the pace. Phoenix, a whole bunch of draft picks are like, go for it, right? Good luck to you, Steve. That was a flawed – that was flawed from the very beginning where you talk about ball handling – who's a bigger ball hog on the planet than Kobe Bryant with the maestro of the D'Antoni system, Steve Nash? That was doomed. That was absolutely yeah, but it wasn't doomed. wasn't reported that way. I mean, it's, it's now looked back on that way. I remember when, when the trade went through, I'm not suggesting, you know, you and I weren't in conversation mm. at the time, but I remember reading a lot of ESPN reports and hearing Zach, the Zach Lowe's of the world say, look, there's too much talent on this team. They're going to, you know, they, they, they were the prohibitive favorites to win the Western Conference uh, that season. And it all maybe the, yeah, maybe the, the Dan Tony disciple and me, and the, I watched basketball to see how much, how many bounces Kobe made, how many <laughs> dribbles Kobe made as a rookie or second, the first rookie all-star game. I'll never forget him waving off Carl Malone coming up to setting a pick. <laughs> I'll never forget that, right? That was played over and over. Kobe don't need no motherfucking point guard. He just need Derek Fisher to not sleep with his girlfriends and to throw him the ball when he needs it and get out of the motherfucking way. Like, that was, so I think there was a bit of Los Angeles lipstick on a pig 
in its sexy. Look at the big names. It was just a Hollywood moment. And Kobe's star hadn't fallen, right? His his Achilles hadn't ruptured yet. Um, his efficiency was tanking, but he was still, you know, scoring 28 points a game. So anyway, I think it's a bit of a – look, it's not exactly a uh, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, uh, Rajon Rondo, perfect harmony um, symphony being creative. I just think uh, – I God, I hope I'm right. But just to see the offensive versatility to have – two initiators the way Harden and, and Chris Paul will initiate the offense, I think it's going to be fucking fascinating. Well, I'll, I'll make my final prediction, then we'll move on to the Clippers. It'll be, th- this is a six seed, and Mike D'Antoni will not last out the season. If he does, he won't okay. be back the season after. So that, that's how high I am on, on the Houston Rockets. Let's move on to a team you're a bit higher on again than what I am, um, although I don't think we'll disagree quite as badly on this one. The LA Clippers... Uh, now, they made some interesting moves, obviously, after Chris Paul left. There's all this talk, oh, they've got to blow it up, but they didn't do that. They brought back Blake Griffin uh, to, a, obviously, a major contract there, and then they brought in uh, Danilo Gallinari. I'm just bringing up their stuff there. Obviously, they've got uh, Patrick Beverly as well, who we've just spoken about, uh, and then uh, Decker, who I think can contribute for them, Harrell's obviously a backup for uh, for them as well. Lou Williams will play minutes. So it's an interesting team. Um, my worry is you've got Gallinari who, you know, it's always seems to be injured, never seems to be 100%. Blake Griffin's always been injured, uh, not quite 100%. Beverly, not quite as good a fit here as obviously what he was next to James Harden in Houston. So you wonder here, well, who's going to be the playmaker? But then you've got... Um, yeah, the, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Tedovic, or Tedosic, from... Uh, Teodosic. Teodosic, sorry, from uh, Serbia. Okay. He wasn't on my list, so I had to get that off the top of my head. But he's coming. <laughs> he's like the Ricky Rubio about the defence, is sort of how he's been described to me. Um, so they're not going to be a great defensive team either, but uh, he's going to be an interesting player to watch, I guess, because that's obviously where most of the playmaking is going to come from. Um, so, look, I think they're going to be a fun team when everyone's up and about, but I have real worries about the durability of this lineup. You know, it looks good on paper, but, you know, how, how many games are we going to see the absolute best? I mean, honestly, if you put the over-under at 30 games that they have all their best players available, I think I'd take the under. Yeah, look, my um, my movie parallel for these guys was Lord of the Rings. I mean, there's no hobbits and there's no rings, but this is all about this is all about the Grey Wizard. <laughs> this is all about Jerry West. This is Gandalf, right? Jerry West is Gandalf here, putting his cloak on and uh, making some very non Los Angeles Clippers moves, right? So six years, you know, they've been trotting out the same old thing, and it hasn't isn't hasn't gotten them anywhere. And it's been a dramatic shift, right, from the the purchasing of the second-round contracts um, so to getting in the draft. You know how I feel about the draft. And again, I'm, I'm not portending that these are, you know, future all-stars, but to get the archetype players of Jawan Evans, the really crafty senior playmaker from Oklahoma State, and then, you know, darling of the, of the tournament, Sundarius Thornwell, the, a bulldog defender, you know, to add those two young backcourt players which they've been bloody desperate for for the last five years to get some depth with Pat Beverly um, and then Lou Williams chucking it. I go, that's interesting. At least it's interesting and has upside and has some hope. 
Um, so I just like from the Gandalf going, you know what? I'm waving my magic wand here, and then we're going to go in a whole different direction. Now, that being said, I'm actually in two minds here. Um, look, anchoring your team around Blake Griffin um, and locking into whatever 170-some million is no doubt a, a huge risk given his injury history, right? He's got all kinds of elbows and arms, things other than just punching people. Doesn't he have a broken foot? Actually, at the moment, he's actually hurt yeah. now. That's how oh, God. it is. Broken foot or broken toe, that terrifies me, right? So no question that is a risk, you know, putting that sort of investment in Blake um, as your team. And you already mentioned Gallo, who I think has played 80 games once in his career, 70 games once in his career, and he averaged something like, I don't know, 50, 59 or 60 is his average, something like that. Um, no question the injury history. I just, I guess, from a, a direction of the franchise perspective, I get it, and I can get behind it, and there's something really interesting. They're going to lose They're gonna lose more games than they did. They're not going to get a four seed. You know, this is maybe a seven seed, right? But I, I still think they're a playoff team. The other part of me wonders, I go, maybe, I wonder if they're not, are they actually done? Part of me wonders if they're maybe still got something cooking which which i guess could only mean um are they are they quietly shopping or planning on shopping you know deandre that's the only thing i could possibly think of to complete kind of the direction now they don't have a classic pick and roll point guard that is not bloody pat beverly joan evans was but he's a rookie and that's asking a lot to ask him to mimic chris paul to say the least but part of me part of me kind of wonders oh is something going on with DeAndre maybe, but uh, look, they're going to lose more games. I'm not going to argue they're better. Uh, I just think it's a really, really, I can't wait to see him play. Yeah. They're going to be a fun team. There's no doubt about that. I mean, when that, if they get that, that best team and their best eight main rotation, whatever that sort of, whatever form that ends up taking, they're going to be a really fun team to watch. Um, but I just, as I said, I, I worry about, and that's, that's a point that, you know, go back to Bill Simmons, he has made, you know, durability counts and it needs to be taken into account when you're signing yeah. the players to contracts and it seems like certain teams don't and, and the Clippers haven't here. <coughs> Excuse me. And so many of their seasons have blown up because of injuries and it seems to me like, a, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit lukewarm about it, but I like the fact that they have got some young guys now that you can certainly see developing. I'm, I'm pretty high on Decker, actually. I, I think Decker's going to be a really nice um, NBA player going forward. <clears throat> so I can see them certainly building around that. I'd like to see them give some minutes to some of the young guys as well. Doc Rivers hasn't always done that um, throughout his career. As a coach, so I'd, I'd like to see some development of the Thornwells uh, of, of, of that roster as well um, going forward. So th- I agree with you. I think they're going to be about a seven or eight seed if they even make the playoffs at all. I could certainly see things going pear-shaped um, if some major injuries happen. And we don't even know that, uh, for example, Blake Griffin's going to start the season. So already some questions there. But given the fact that you know, Chris Paul left, they did, he didn't leave for nothing in the end. Um, Beverly's a nice piece as we've spoken about Decker, you know, Luke Williams is what he is but uh, they've walked away pretty well considering that Chris Paul did end up leaving um, which was another prediction that I I agree, I think that's that's a really great point thinking all the possible outcomes for them right before this offseason began 
this feels like, if not a certainly unforeseen outcome, a pretty good outcome given all the possibilities, right, of you know both Blake and Chris going. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. I, again, you and I have no idea how real that possibility ever was. It sounds like it wasn't that real. Um, that, again, diving in, if you hear to some of the, the interworkings of the team, it was basically Chris or Blake, and there was no way, you know, both of them were coming back. Mm. Now we start to hear some of the stuff about the loss of respect that Doc had in his in the locker room um, from Chris in particular, mm. who'd had a, had enough of him. But um, yeah, look, the fact that you know for the first time since you and I can remember, they've got Evan Stornwell, Decker, and Montrez. They got four four kids about 22, 23, 24 years old who you know got a chance to turn into something. So um, yeah, probably a forty three win team in this West, but uh, um, that might miss the playoffs. But um, yeah. Let's we'll see what Gandalf can do. I believe in Jerry West. Mm. Uh, okay, let's move on. The next team is the Utah Jazz. This is a team that I, some people are saying expect them to take a step back. I'm not so sure. Um, I just I like the infrastructure there. Uh, obviously, losing Gordon Haywood's massive. Losing George Hill, not quite as big a blow, given that they've traded in Ricky Rubio. Uh, they re-signed Joe Ingles. I hate to say it's about Australian player, but it felt like a bit of an overpay. Uh, you know, he's been a good contributor for them. Uh, they had a good draft with Don- Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he's been playing really well in the summer league, and they're certainly expecting to see something from him. Hopefully, Dante Exum, this is the year where it sort of clicks in with him. Um, I could see this team doing better than what, what people are projecting at the moment. I think there's a lot of doom and gloom over Gordon Haywood leaving. But I just I like, the, I like Quinn Snyder as a coach. I like the infrastructure. They're going to play hard every game out of 82. Gobert's still an elite defensive player, and I think there's there's untapped potential in his offensive game, which they may see this year. Fingers crossed Derek Favors finally sees some health and actually sees the court. You know, they'd love to see 70, 75 games out of him next year. Um, Rubio's a nice addition, also a very good defensive player. So I, I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom, even though Gordon Hayward left. I still don't mind the infrastructure that's there in Utah, but I'm I'm interested to see your thoughts. I think they could actually still be in that four or five conversation, believe it or not, uh, in in the West. But I'm not sure if you're quite as high as what I am. No, definitely not. Look, you know, it's you know Carmelo from Denver. It's um, you know Gordon Hayward. This is the superstar leaving the small team, you know, to go uh, do his own version of Banana Boat. So there's that, which we'll revisit in future pods, just about this, you know, the player movement and the players just having now this really fascinating um, risk tolerance to take shorter deals because the money's so big, he can go play for a year, like LeBron, playing year to year, right? Who'd have thought, you know, the best players in the league playing on these short-term deals, so... uh, it's another just an indictment of another small market team unable to, you know, do anything. They did everything right and lost well, their darling. I'll just stop you there. Star. They what? didn't actually do everything right, and I've heard this a lot of times. But they actually didn't do everything right with Gordon Haywood. They could have signed him to a five-year, the full max last time, and they made him go out and sign a restricted. Uh, Charlotte actually signed him, if you remember, to an offer sheet. So they then then Utah matched. So they could have actually re-signed him before they made him go out and actually find his own offer sheet. So 
all this talk about Utah did everything right and oh poor Utah. Well, you know, you could have had him at five years on the on the full max, and maybe he has a different view of the franchise. Well, and who knows what what yeah, plays but he was out a, next sorry, summer. but he was a. He was a 30% three-point shooter at 16 points a game, right? So you kind of go, he wasn't Gordon Hayward. And you go, his relationship with Brad Stevens was exactly the same then as it is today, right? So I go, yeah, I hear you. But that's that feels like the wisdom of hindsight when he, you know, kid, you know, he's only really taken a big leap the last year, year and a half. And that contract goes back, you know, that goes back four years after his rookie deal. So, yeah, I, I hear you, but... Well, maybe no. they should have projected him as as that player. I mean, th- these are the questions you've got to ask yourself. It's certainly the opportunity was there to lock him up to a longer term contract. Um, he, his people certainly expected they would do that, and I think that may very well have played into his sinking this time too. Is like when you could have bet on me and believed in me and my full potential four years ago, you balked. So, you know, now you're saying I'm the face of the franchise and things like that. So, you know, I, I think it's a two-way street. I mean, even obviously a different marketplace in Chicago, but you're talking about Chicago losing Jimmy Butler and they're, they're promoting guys as the face of the franchise and then trade them away the first chance they get. Well, but the other counter-argument is no one's talking about is John Wall had the $180 million Supermax put to him. That's been 10 days. Not yet. He hasn't, hasn't touched it. So you, you don't know he would have taken it anyway. He might have always said, you know what, this is temporary home. I'm going to be the good boy. I'm going to work as hard as I can. And it takes years, right? It took Kevin Love years. It took J.J. Reddick years. And I don't mean to be pinpointing white guys. James Johnson, <laughs> right? Dion Waiters. It takes years yeah. to get your body into the shape, right? So I don't know if I don't know if Gordon Hayward knew what he was going to be when he was, you know, 22, 23 years old. Right. So, yeah. But you, do you understand what I'm saying? When Utah hasn't done some fucked up, you know, strategy diversion. Oh, exactly. No, they they're drafted not Sacramento. well. Yeah. Got an awesome, got an awesome coach. Right. Like, that's what I mean by kind of doing everything right. So I kind of go, unlike right, my dysfunctional, seemingly starting to be dysfunctional Milwaukee team, where there's these big questions suddenly swirling about ownership. Utah's just run such a tight ship. And I think we just have to start to accept it. In this era, there's nothing. There's oftentimes nothing you can do. A guy wants to go play somewhere, he's going to go play somewhere, and it fucking sucks from a fan perspective. But that's the bloody, that's the reality. That's just the, that's just the culture of the of the of the players. These at this this point in time. But in terms of the on court product, man, I think they're going way backwards. I don't know how you replace a 22 point a game score. It sure isn't coming from Ricky Rubio. I mean, who's Ricky passing it to? You know, the ghost of Joe Johnson, you know, Rodney Hood, if that poor kid could stay healthy. I, mm. I love his the look of his game. He just can't seem to put it together. Dante, I'm worried about. I think Utah takes a massive step backwards. Look, they could be really interesting defensively if they if they stay healthy, but I think this is a my kind of pitting them at sort of a nine seed on the outside looking in at the moment. No, I'm, I'm going in hot take mood tonight. So th- this is uh, Rudy Gobert's team now. I think Rudy Gobert is going to be an all-NBA player next year, um, whether it's second team or third team, um, I don't know. But I'm predicting a, big, a breakout year for him. I think there's untapped potential there, as I said earlier, on the offensive end. And I think they're going to be forced to sort of find that next year. Um, and I think you'll you'll see a, a different player, a more of a two-way player, 
um, next year from Rudy Gobert, who is an impossible matchup for so many teams across the league. So I'm a bit higher in Utah than what you are, even though obviously, look, not not the outcome that they would have desired um, from the off season. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, the next thing I want to move on to, this is to me my big winner of the, you know, like Houston. The more I look at that Houston team, the more I I have massive questions about it. The more I look at this Oklahoma City term now, the more it makes sense to me. Now, obviously, there's some storm clouds ahead with uh, Paul George and Russell Westbrook both being potentially being free agents next year. But to just run over the moves that they made, of course, they brought in Paul George by trade. They re-signed Andre Robeson. They signed Patrick Patterson at a beautiful deal. Um, Zach Lowe made the point, you know, how much Patrick Patterson feel that uh, he watched Bismarck Biombo sign a... a a contract for seventeen million a season last year, and he couldn't. He got seventeen million in total for his contract this year, and he's obviously a uh, all due respect to Bismarck. He's a, he's a far better player and a, a more important player that I think people would want in today's NBA. Patrick Patterson. Uh, they got Raymond Felton. I'm not overly impressed by that, but I don't think he'll see too many minutes anyway um, on the court next year. But just from a defensive point of view, I think this. You know, there's two ways you sort of can attack the Warriors now, and that's obviously the team everyone's trying to beat. You can either attack them defensively um, and hope that you score enough, um, and or, or you try and go with them as Cleveland did in the finals and try and sort of outscore them. Um, I prefer the defensive route, um, and I think this team is as well-placed as anyone, if not better placed than anyone now defensively to take them on. Um, and I think with the, the ISO game, look, it's not going to be pretty with Paul George and Russell Westbrook playing the old Kevin Durant, Westbrook, your turn, my turn offense, heavy iso ball. But I think it's going to be ugly but effective in certain games. And I think if they can sneak into a three seed, I think they'll be in the Western Conference Finals next year. I don't think they'll beat the Warriors, but I think the key for them is going to be, let's have a really regular season. Let's try and match up with the Spurs in that semi-final matchup. I think it's going to be a nightmare matchup for the Spurs, uh, and then we can go to the Western Conference Finals. And look, who knows? You know, you've got a puncher's chance, as they showed a couple of years ago against the Warriors. Um, love the fit of Paul George next to him. He's sort of a what would he be? A, a you know, working class man's Kevin Durant, if you like. He's certainly like that level, but he's a similar type of player. And at his best, he's not that far underneath Durant. Patrick Patterson, a perfect guy. If anyone in this team, he can knock down open threes, doesn't need the ball in his hand. Uh, Robeson, obviously, there's areas that his game he needs to work on, but he's a fantastic defensive player. Um, so just love the fit of this team now. Um, but I'm interested in your take. Are you as high on them as what I am, or do you have some question marks? Um, I, They're probably number one. Them and Houston are number one and two on my fascination list, no question. Um, we'll get to Minnesota, no doubt, but there's a they've the runaway um, fascination winners of the of the off season. So I'm fascinated by it. Um, my movie metaphor, though, is Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's for does everyone know this movie? This is where there's a party. They have a dead guy and they put him on the. I don't know why they're carrying around a corpse. The dead guy comes out to the party. I think he's hosting the party, and the and the guys who wanted to you know keep partying, their desire to party so hard is there. They pretend the the dead guy's alive and keep you know 
they grab his hand to pretend he's waving and they put a hat on him and they you know, do a kind of, all kinds of all kinds of shit. Our weekend at Bernie's is is the perfect the perfect metaphor for two reasons. One, it's short term. It's just a weekend. It's a one season, right? And Bernie's is a dead guy. Like Paul George is not going to be there after the season. So this is a one year um, uh, boy throw the dice at the craps on the craps table and see what happens. This is a, um, yeah, it's a, let, a let grand just, experiment. Can I just stop you there? What, what happens sure. if, if they make the Western conference finals, push the Warriors to six games and the Lakers win 23 games. Do you really think Paul George is going to go? Now maybe there's other places he'll be looking at to go, but this, this view that Paul George, he's definitely going to go to the Lakers. That franchise is a mess. And an absolute circus at the moment. Um, it'd be the last place you'd think someone want to play, particularly if things go pear shaped this year and things look good in OKC. And I guess that's the gamble that Presti's taking here. That's a gamble. I don't think it's much of a gamble. So I think from a from an OKC perspective, this isn't much of a gamble. Uh, no, um, even though I sort of portended the fit, you know, weeks ago, going, you know what. Crazily enough, Vic Oladipo in the money matches, he's an Indiana boy. I could see that working on paper. I thought they would have certainly had to include at least one first-round pick. Obviously, mm. they didn't. And I think there's no question, right? No one, nobody, hell, not even whomever is running the fucking Indiana Pacers would argue they got value back. And I go, well, why is that? Because Paul George has made it imminently clear where he wants to play in 2018. I have to believe that to be true. I have to believe that's the only reason Indiana – shipped him out of the East. They don't want to see him in the division. They don't want to see him in Boston. They don't want to take a team in their conference and make him better. They also don't want to probably, I don't know. I don't know if there is a bit of a, is there a bit of an ownership Dan Gilbert fuck you to Paul George in this and shipping him to just someplace, you know, for a year that wasn't Los Angeles. Perhaps, I don't know. But um, it's definitely weekend at Bernie's in terms of this is very likely a one-year situation. Right. That's my that's my meta sort of reaction to it on the court. I'm with you. If Paul George is motivated and if Paul George wants to play Paul George, 100 percent basketball. And if Russell Russell is going to perhaps I hesitate to try and guess, can he unlearn some of the habits he developed last year and he was richly rewarded for? Can he learn to change his? 40 fucking percent usage to something that's more, you know, of a team, team-based team player. It's a big, big, big if. Um, we'll see. But you're right. It is a fascinating, defensively talented team with uh, um, with Robertson, George, uh, Adams, Russ. I don't know if he can play defense with motivated, but it is, is going to be a – you will not find a tougher team um, Thibodeau will argue with that, but you will probably not find a tougher team in the league. No, so. that's right. No, I, I, I love the fit. And I think Paul George, perfect situation for him because he's not the best player. I don't want Paul George as my best player, but I love him if he's my second best player. You know, and ideally even third best player, but geez, then, then you got a super team going again. Um, so I like that for Paul George. Um, I, as I said, I can still see... I think there's a less than zero or greater than zero chance he comes back to OKC, but there's also a greater than zero chance that both he and Russ Westbrook are gone yeah. at the end of this season. So I, can I can I just pick on one thing? Where I go, I, 
I'm actually a little surprised you said that. Paul George is the Eastern Conference um, Kawhi Leonard. He is the quintessential two-way player. And so if you think he's the number two to Russ, I think you've got the ratio wrong. I think I think Paul George is is twice the player uh, in a bubble, right? As as um, as Russ is a forty percent three point shooter who can defend the fuck out of LeBron and score twenty four points a game the way Paul George can. He is for me the East Conference Kawhi Leonard. So I I think the big the big all of this is about can Russ adapt and change and make the most of it. Which um, when Paul George likes the ball in his hand, right? He likes it in crunch time. And I go, you watch in December, if you got these two guys fighting over the ball in the last minutes of the game in crunch time in December, this could go this could go south. It could go just like flashback, Russ beating his chest is my team. I've stayed. I've endured. I'm the MVP. This is my team. KD gone. My team stuff. Remember how Paul George, we bashed him for uh, who did he throw under the bus? CJ Miles? taking a wide-open 18-footer in the playoffs, and he missed it, and Paul George throws him under the bus. That's my shot, he said in the post-game press conference. I go, don't think Paul George doesn't think he's the best player on the on the freaking court. And so I go, this is not unlike, right? This is an arranged temporary marriage, unlike Chris Paul, who pressed and pushed to get inside the Houston. So don't underestimate the human motivation where these guys are playing. So I think this arranged marriage is a far more difficult proposition to integrate, not to mention their coach, Billy Donovan. I've got questions about Billy. He's a, he's a college guy. I don't know. Is he still finding his heat? Would a stronger coach than Billy perhaps change the way they played last year when they were a complete fucking train wreck with Russ off the floor? He sort of let Russ do whatever he wanted under the guise of, ooh, I need to let my guy have the freedom to kind of you know be the boast he can be. At the expense of the team, I go, man, I probably am starting where I talk about it. I love the toughness idea, but I am far from believing that this is a, a penciling in for a three seed or a, there's going to be some harmony. I think Sam Presti's three or four chess moves ahead of us as well, thinking, holy crap, I got rid of Oladipo's contract. Sabonis, yeah, I don't know, he was a 13 or 14 pick. And if, if shit goes pear-shaped, um, he wasn't going to give up draft picks. If stuff goes pear-shaped, Christmas, bang, there'll be plenty of buyers lining up to offer something similar to Oladipo and Sabonis in value come January, February. So I think this is very much weakened at Bernie's, and and this corpse stays dead, and Paul George doesn't get what he wants for this year. He just kind of continued to sort of hint at me, me not going to be here anyway, so what the fuck do I care? Um, I, I just think this is volatile, volatile, volatile. No, I think I, I disagree. I mean, I think with with Westbrook, he's played with a ball dominant. I mean, Kevin Durant likes the ball in his heads too, uh, and you can't say that completely blew up. I mean, they pushed the Warriors to seven games in that Western Conference Finals. So I think it's just going to be your turn, my turn, ISO ball. It's not going to be pretty, and, and there's going to be plenty of games where we go, gee, what were they doing at the end of those games? But there's going to be plenty of games where they hit the shots. Um, and, they, and there's possibly going to be games where they're just blowing teams out. So, and I think Paul George will be motivated. I don't think that'll be a, that'll be an issue, game to game. Um, he sees an opportunity here. If he is going to the Lakers, well, he better get used to winning 40 games a year, um, unless LeBron follows him there. And even then, I think that's going to be 
I'm just not convinced about any of that at the moment. Um, how, how rosy things might be in LA uh, after this season. So, look, again, it's good to get this disagreement, Daz. It's good to get a bit of conflict uh, here. I'm we not, like contrast, Daz. We like it. We love it. <laughs> no, we love it. I'm, I'm penciling no, I'm him in. I'm going to give him the three seed. I know we'll do our, our more... Um, and I'm already petrified of the Western Conference semis next year when the Spurs once again have to come up against uh, OKC. So, um, but but I agree with you on that. Very interesting dynamic, and I and I would prefer both Houston and OKC if they had different coaches. Um, more more the fit in Houston. Not not the knocking Dan Tony's ability as a coach, but with Billy Donovan, I'm a bit like you. I've got massive questions and marks about his ability as a coach and, and maybe this is the time where he stands up um, and, and stands up to be counted. I, I think Russell Westbrook will make some subtle adjustments to his game. He's proven he can do the triple-double. He's proven he can win the MVP. Now it's about getting Ws on the board and hopefully he understands what he needs to do um, to make that happen. So a few terms now we'll move move on to that probably we don't need to spend a lot of time on. Um, the first is the Memphis Grizzlies. They really didn't do a heck of a lot at all. Um, Tyreek Evans, Ben McLemore, Wayne Selden, they re-signed, who was a guy that played a bit of, a few minutes here and there off their bench. Um, McLemore's an interesting project, uh, but we'll, we'll wait and see on that. Tyreek Evans, yeah, again, I'm, I'm not... I'm not getting too excited about that. They're actually talking about moving Marcus. So I think there may be bigger moves to come with Memphis, but certainly no moves there that's going to move them uh, up from the seven seed they were. And you, and you could even argue they're going to take a step back. I mean, it's going to take a mammoth effort from Mike Conley and Marcus Sale next year to lift this team uh, in today's um, Western Conference to lift this team up a hell of a lot further than what they did last year. Yeah, I agree. I I didn't even get to a movie with Memphis. <laughs> I think if it was uh, it was if I had a movie now, just to guess, it would be, um, <laughs> asleep in Seattle. That's just <laughs> their off season made me asleep. You know, I just not. You can you know they're saying goodbye to the you know Vince Carter and Zach Randolph. It's like they traded them for Tyreek and Ben McLemore. I go that's two fucking downgrades. Pardon. Pardon my language again. I go. I love Vince and Zach. Right? They fit with Tony Allen and, and Gasol and Conley. And now they got Tyreek Evans and Ben McLemore. These guys got barely broke the crack the rotation in Sacramento. Now that you pick them up, that's your additions. Oh God. So I kind of go. Oy. I'm a little bit when I start thinking about Memphis. I start thinking about um, part of why I was breaking your balls on a couple a couple days ago about you know how fans of teams in particular. And even the teams themselves, when you say, you know what, guess what? We're probably not a 55-win team, um, but we're probably a 47-win team. And can we make? Can we find enough small victories and joy in the fact of being good? Can we just enjoy being good in an era where it seems to be championship or failure as a narrative? And so I go, part of me about Memphis is that hopefully their fan base, you know, loves enough of, of, of Conley and Gasol and, there's enough sort of small victories there, but it's going to be a it's going to be a longer season, I think. They they'll fight. I think they'll press for an eight seed, but um, that's probably only a function because I think LAC, the Clippers, and Utah have fallen so far more yeah. than they've made progress. But um, 
I think they'll hold on to that game four victory over San Antonio for a few seasons to come in the first yeah. round of playoffs. They're the games they're yeah. going to hold on to. I love it's taken 23 episodes for you to apologise for your language. So I, I love that little tidbit. Yeah, yeah you know, it's like... a hollow. It's really hollow, isn't it, really? <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, now, I'm sure you've got a real sad move. Is there any tearjerkers you can think of? Because when I look at the cap sheet of this next team, it makes me want to cry. You're going to talk Port- about Portland. The Portland Trailblazers, who did nothing via free agency because they can't do anything via free agency. Um, they had to actually trade one of their draft picks um, because they, they didn't have enough playing spots there to, to use all their draft picks this year. And, of course, there's um, tepid interest in the likes of Alan Crabb and Mo Harkless and some of these guys. Um, so really, literally nothing to say about Portland other than the, um, the lament the state of their cap situation. I didn't even get to a, a metaphor for Portland. They didn't. They didn't register. I think I'm trying, just trying to block them out of my out of my consciousness because I I get as stressed about them as I do thinking about the Hornets or the Orlando Magic. Right, we're just sort of so frustrated with they've got two really wonderful players who just if they were surrounded by different talent and in different situations. Their careers could probably be different self-actualizations, but you know, poor CJ and Dame seem to be uh, resigned to a really, do, really gloomy fate. Um, mm. No, I, I don't know what else to add. They, they, we, there's, there's nothing else can be added about the Myers Leonard, Alan Crab, um, and um, Evan Turner. You know, premature ejaculation, or you know, <laughs> self bukkake, or you know, just a really really off-color metaphor about what's happening, this self, self-inflicted self harm, um, which is uncharacteristically, you know, happened in Portland. It's pretty steady ship usually in the, the irrational off-season last year. They're just, they're basically screwed and no flexibility. And so what do you do? Staple a whole bunch of picks mm. and you can't draft until 2024, yeah. you know, to do what? To try to lure free agents that won't come. They go, so they're, they're, they're literally... There is there is no path. It's no, not like option A. Or, yeah, they're they're, they are who they how, are. They're going to see yeah. how Nurkic goes and hope that he continues on that trajectory. I suppose so. Um, Similar, super loyal fan base. Um, Damon CJ are really fun to watch when they get it going. Right? Didn't we see? Was it game one against Golden State where they both scored? Both scored forty, and they're like, yep. man, it's just a fun, fun, exciting, relentless brand of basketball when they get it going, and they lost. But, you know, so they do have some of that. I hated their draft. You know, they I hated it. I, I hated it. So I got Zach Collins and Swanigan. I hated it. What are you two non-athletes? Really? So I'm just, oh, well, I don't know, whatever the movie equivalent of getting mad. You know, maybe it's one of those movies where you know the plot line and it's all going south. And, you know, it's maybe like the, maybe it's Fargo. That's what it is, you know. Poor little, you know, poor little card dealer where he just, you know, what's his name? Um, he does that. He's his own worst enemy. He ends up committing murder, and it just it gets worse and worse and worse. And someone ends up in a wood chipper, and it just yeah. it just goes really. It just makes you. It's just a self defeating sort of landscape there. So um, uh, the next. Yeah, I was, depressing. I was going to yeah. give him me, Earl, and the dying girl because that was the last movie I could remember crying. <laughs> oh, in, so, 
There you go. <laughs> um, let's move on to the team. That's their cap sheet is actually much more rosy, thanks to in part to Masai Jiri's time with the franchise. And that's the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they bought in uh, Paul Millsap by a free agency. They also traded for Trey Lyles as part of their draft. Um, they had a reasonable draft. I don't know how many of those players are going to make massive contributions next year. Gallinari, of course, goes to the Clippers. Um, yet to be seen whether they re-sign Mason Plumley or not. We're sort of hearing, I'm hearing differing reports about that. So we'll see how that plays out. <coughs> but a lot of flexibility still within this team. Um, I don't think they're finished necessarily moving yet, but a, a really fascinating team, I think, to see. Okay, now you've really got a great passing front court in Jokic and and Millsap, the problem for them is they're in the Western Conference, so how much further up can you move with so many great teams there? Um, I could see them maybe up in that 4-5 seed. I could also see them fighting out in the 8 seed. I'm, I've got no feel for this team. This is one team I really want to see it on the court before I'm willing to to make any firm judgments. Um, you know, obviously, if they're in the East, I'd be much more confident about penciling them in for a top 4 seed. But uh, in the West... It's just going to be so difficult. And, and I guess the big question is, how does this team translate, given that you're putting a lot of emphasis on your front court, when so many teams are putting emphasis on the back court and on that sort of pace and space <coughs> type lineup? And I know that, obviously, Jokic and, and Millsap have a bit of range to their games, but I, I really do want to see the on-court product before I get too excited one way or the other with Denver. But do you sort of feel the same way, or do you feel like you have more of a a feel about where this team's going to land next year? Oh, you know, my feel is the same depth as your feel, right? This is all a, you know, just a, a really super fun time of the year to to forecast it. But just your very first point about a team who, I don't know, maybe is it, is it boring that we're always talking about money and cap sheet and, and salary cap space? Like, I don't know how you avoid that these days. So part of me sort of beats myself up for always going back to the cap and, that sort of thing. So we just forget, but you're right, a rosy, rosy, rosy future with the way they've managed their cat space, which gives them tons of flexibility. So I couldn't agree more with that. Believe it or not, I'm actually more bullish than you. I I think this is a beautifully, beautifully constructed team. Um, so just at the same time that old Gandalf is out there in Los Angeles, you know, um, you know, having a, you know, La Vagine as, you know, as loose as the sleeve of Wizard, of Danilo Gallinari, you see a team like Denver Nuggets take their little lowly 24, number 24 in the first round draft pick and basically draft Danilo Gallinari with Tyler Lydon, mm. you know, the long gunner from Syracuse, you know, semi-athletic, you know, is known for his prolific outside shooting, a little bit of hop to his game. He's kind of maybe Sam Decker without the muscle, right? Um, so you kind of go, you can basically replicate you know, if you get 50 games of Gal or 80 games of Tyler Light, you probably got similar sort of, you know, let me bastardize stats from it. Similar sort of war, similar type of play, you know, similar type of player. I'm also super high, super high on the backcourt of Murray and Gary Harris. I am thrilled when I think about Paul George. And I know you were quite high on on Denver making some trades to get Paul George or Jimmy Butler. I am thrilled that they kept. Murray and uh, Gary Harrison plays two tall, rugged backcourt players who can kind of both play inside and out. I love them. I like Wilson Chandler's always been, again, injury history, 
mm-hmm. aside a really nice sort of wing that kind of fits fits where they're at. Um, and they're deep now. I love Millsap next to Jokic. That fascinates me. And they've got depth, right? And they got some upside with, you know, I don't know, they probably soured on Moutier, you know, but that's that's okay. Um, Fareed suddenly becomes one of the more movable contracts in the league. Super tough guy who has a really very well-defined role. I think he'd have value in a number of teams if they wanted to move move Ken Fareed. Will Barton probably also maybe a bit expendable now. Also quite a semi-attractive. You know, talk about you know ball handlers wings. He's in the middle category. He's a wing, yep. and there aren't many of those in the league. I think Will would be an asset either as a player if he develops, or they could still probably move him. He's young enough. So I just love. I love it. I got to know. I got to know. Uh, I studied a little bit on Karnasovas when he was in the Bucks um, GM interview process. Yep. Um, also known as Clusterfuck North, um, and he's you know we know his European scouting is second to none. I sort of like him and his um, sort of where he's taken his team. I, I just I like it. It just all makes sense strategically, financially, personnel wise, on court product, um, just in beautiful alignment. Um, so I'm irrationally. You know, it's probably the only thing you can do in the 10th of July. I'm irrationally high on Denver. I think if, I think they got youth and upside and fit. Um, so they're my, this is my hot take. They're my four seed already. Four okay. seed. Yeah. I said it. Golden State, Houston, San Antonio, Denver. So um, love it. Love, love it. Love Paul Millsap. Underrated. Short-term. I, I got Paul Millsap for two years. Come on. Paul Millsap for two years, guaranteed. Third year team option or Blake Griffin for 176 million. Come on, that is like a that is eight thousand times out of eight thousand. I take Paul Millsap versus yeah. you know Blake Griffin, right? Yeah. So I just I love it. I love everything they did. So I, I forgot what my movie was, but I love it. No, <laughs> I, I um it. look, I, I agree with you. I've got them sort of if if I if I was doing projections now and have them in the four seed but i also would wouldn't too. be surprised if they're in the eight seed um i'm sort of I'm, I'm back and forth but if you said look you've got to make your call now my sort of top four would be golden state san antonio uh okc denver i'm, I'm gonna, still going to slot utah into that five i'm down on houston you know that i've, I've got them what? six oh, so, crazy. The, i love uh, this right uh, well, at least we agree on Denver. Denver's my four, so I thought I was going out on a limb. This is the there, first I, time we agree on. As I said, I'm high on yeah. Denver, but I, I, it's, it's, I've got that thing in the back of my mind. I want to see it because I know last year I, I, I watched them play some games, and I remember they destroyed the Warriors like it was no one's business. And that was the Warriors with Durant. The Warriors were playing hard that game, um, and I thought, gee, what's the ceiling on this team? And then I, I, you'd see them the next week play Charlotte, and they'd lose by twenty. And you're just thinking, oh, I can't get a feel for this team. So, again, I want to see it. But the, 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 the final point but, I'd but, make... Sorry, yep. Sorry, yeah. just on that, I just think I think that that was the... Wasn't that, though, Daz, wasn't that the shoehorning of Moutier? That was Nurkic and Jokic, right? There was, you know, there, I think there was some shoehorning going on there. So I, I have a feeling that that was a bit of a... People didn't really know their roles as much. And they just didn't have it figured out. And I think... Murray and Harris are how old's Murray? Murray's a kid still. Well, he's, he's in his second year. Twenty. Yeah, so he's only twenty. 
um, and right. Gary Harris only 22. So um, it's a young team, and, as, as a, and, and that's the final point I'd make. This is, and, and that's a point I made earlier, the real competitive advantage, I think there's two big competitive advantages teams can have now, and one is the player development, which we've sort of touched on, but the other is the knowledge of the CBA and having and making sure your cap sheet has flexibility moving forward and you don't cap yourself out like we've seen in Milwaukee, like we've seen in uh, Portland, and you sort of have summers like this was a lot of free agents out there and you just can't take part. Um, and it takes me back to a comment that Mark Cuban made when he was interviewed at the Sloan Conference a couple of years ago and someone said, what what would your advice be to these guys looking to get in analytics? He said, I'd say don't get in analytics. He said, analytics is a dime a dozen now. Everyone wants to get in. If I, he said, where I'm looking for value is guys who know the CBA. And he said, teams that know the CBA back to front, they're going to be the teams that have the advantage going forward. And we're seeing that now in Denver. Um, from Partly from what Messiah Jury did years ago, but obviously partly from uh, the continuation of that. Uh, into the future so they've got a lot of of different options a lot of moving pieces I don't think they're done but I'd love to see at the end of it them be a contender and I think with Jokic as the the key guy to build around I could certainly see that because I think he's a perfect player to build around in today's NBA Um, move on to another team you talk about teams that that, that look good and you've got a lot of uh, hope in them will go and uh, this is more a San Andreas type team uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, I see disaster on the horizon that's with this team. Uh, they re-signed Drew Holiday um, on a massive deal. It was about $27 million a, a year. Is that right? That seems about right. Um, it's, al- it's almost Conley money, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But look... It was a bit like well, they had to do it. I mean, what do you do? Do you let him walk and maybe try and bring George Hill in? You get a little bit more flexibility. I don't know um, what they were supposed to do. This is just an absolute mess. This team, um, Boogie Cousins is on the clock. Anthony Davis is on the clock. Who knows where it ends up? Um, it's depressing to even think about this team. It really is. So my movie metaphor is actually not a movie. It's a television program. And the television program is Big Brother. And Big Brother means we are all studying this fishbowl. Like in, and we're studying every move and every word in the fishbowl known as the New Orleans Pelicans, you know, 15-man roster. I play. They're under such pressure and such scrutiny. There's the pressure to try and make Boogie fit. The pressure... Of, of Demps and Gentry for Demps to create enough, you know, uh, roster capability to keep his two stars pressure on and scrutiny on Elvin Gentry to make it all work pressure on, you know, Anthony Davis to lift the players around him pressure on drew holiday, you know, with this 125 ridiculous million dollar contract and a type of player who does not fit at all with the type of game that they need, um, the type of backcourt play they need, you know, to give Boogie and Anthony Davis the space they need. There's pressure on the city to keep a semi-relevant team, you know, to keep the, you know, the, the fans coming out. There is just, this is, if it was actually like real life, big brothers is pressure on every angle. And that never, ever, ever works. Not to mention um, what you were hinting at is they still don't have any shooting. They don't have any depth. 
and they go and they got a horribly overpaid point guard who they kind of had no choice but to pay him that when he fits horribly for the type of game that Boogie and Anthony Davis both play. It is a it is a train wreck. It is a shipwreck. It is a Titanic. It's pressure filled. It's not fair to Gentry. It's not fair to Anthony. It's not it's no not fair to anybody. It is I can't find a single silver lining unless you're talking about uh Omer Ashik and his family <laughs> spending lots of money and shopping all the time because they're uh, like super rich. They go, there's nothing. There's no silver lining. It's a very apt Big, actually because I, I never watch one minute of Big Brother and I don't think I'll watch one minute of this team. I just there's there's sometimes you're really looking forward to watching next year. This is not one of those teams. I saw enough of what them last year, I'm out of them. I don't want to watch it again. It's going to be very sad to watch, but I'm happy to watch from afar and just sort of read the reports of the wreckage that comes out of this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's nothing. Let's let's move no. on to a happier place. Let's let's move Thank on. Thank you. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, this is a team that should be far happier with their life, uh, their lot at the moment. After actually, I've, I've skipped over the Sacramento Kings, but we'll come back to them. We'll go. We'll go to the Minnesota because Sacramento is a little bit sad as well um, after a good start to free agency. But so Minnesota, obviously, the big move they made, another one of the big moves in the off season, um, bringing in Jimmy Butler. They also bought in Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson. Um, they've lost Chris Dunn, lost Zach Levine, lost Ricky Rubio. Uh, so let's talk. Did we talk? Did this trade? Had this trade happened when we last spoke? I think it did, didn't it? It happened right it the draft. Yep. Yes. So we sort yep. of talk about it from that point of view. Let's, I guess, focus on more now the the overall team building. Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson come in. Um, looks like a team that's going to be very good defensively. I keep hearing people say, "Well, they're not going to be able to score." I think they're going to be able to score fine. Yes, there's not a lot of three point shooting out there, but I guess the key is can you make enough percentage of your threes rather than shoot a lot, large volume. I don't think they're going to be a volume team for threes. I think the question is how many can they nail from a percentage point of view. Um, and the, the example I always give there is San Antonio. They were 23rd last year ranked. I might have been 25th ranked in terms of threes taken, but they were number one in terms of percentage. So if you, if you hit enough percentage of threes, volume doesn't become such an issue. But I guess with this team, the shooting percentages are going to be question, the big question on the offensive end. Certainly on the defensive end, you would expect they're going to be better. But you've also got Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, who, for all the seasons they've spent in the league, which is Wiggins to three and Carl Anthony Towns is two, they haven't played a heck of a lot of defense. So I'm not quite as high on them defensively, and I'm, and I'm sort of, but I'm probably not as low on them offensively as what some people are. But where do you sort of fall on this lineup now, the way they're building? Look, they're way up there on the fascination scale, that's for sure. Um, I think they're also, you know, have to receive high marks for, um, we won't talk about it in depth, but the, again, you know, trading three nickels for a dollar, you know, the trade for Jimmy Butler, to just they increased the value of their franchise by enormous proportion with the trade, um, with a superstar for three nothings. So um, you've got then the increasing... Uh, culture and cohesion. Yes, lots of roster turnover, but with Butler and Taj Gibson being added, you know, in the Thibodeau system, I think that's going to have a positive impact. 
I'm not a Teague fan, so I didn't quite I didn't quite get the Jeff Teague signing. And I sort of they wanted a I guess a little bit of a playmaking point guard. Excuse me. I wasn't I didn't love that. Um my my movie metaphor though was um the Django. Right, the Django Unchained, right? <laughs> Where would the you know dude comes to town and it's a whole new party. Jimmy Butler motherfucking pissed off. Right, mm-hmm. his post his, to say he was stunned by this trade is an understatement. And Jimmy Butler plays like a you know fire breathing dragon. Anyway, mm-hmm. we saw that in the first round of the playoffs, right? And I, I'll go to my grave thinking if Rondo hadn't got hurt, you know Boston gets ousted in the first round. I will, I'm almost certain of it. Um, and I love the way Jimmy Butler competes. I think his right, his relationship with Thibodeau is sort of stands on its own. So they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of shooting. They, I, again, I'm not a big Teague fan. You know, he was a bit undersized. You can't really defend the point. So I guess Jimmy Butler defend point guards. I don't like that aspect. Cat and Andrew Wiggins are, you know, wheeling defenders sometimes. And again, we saw you and I shared a lot of film about Andrew Wiggins last year when you couldn't even say he was willing. He was not only unwilling. He was he was Jabari Parker on his worst possible day bad at defense last year. So they're going to have still a whole bunch of holes in the back line of their defense. So I'm they're pro, they're my eight seed. I think they get in just because I believe in Jimmy and I think they're going. I think him and Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns are just going to have a lot of fucking fun to go out to Django. They're going to shoot up the joint. Like there are people going to die and they're going to feel good after some of the shootouts. But they're also going to get shot in the head a lot, and they're going to get run around a little a lot. So this year isn't going to be their year. Um, so this is probably for me a little bit more about can they gel? Can Andrew Wiggins pick up a few good habits, you know, from from Jimmy Butler? Can Cat take a, you know, as awesome as Cat is, can he take a, I don't want to say a Giannis or a Kawhi likely, but can he add something to his game that we haven't seen yet? and sort of go from really fascinating unicorn to someone who can, you know, start to really impact in the win column. So fat, the team leads in fascination points, Daz, um, but I oh, I don't see it translating to, you know, like a it's not a 46-win team, you know. Yeah, I still go back to the fact that they lost 22 games last year when leading by double figures. And I just think if you can sort that out uh, and not, and not blow those leads and sort of go on with some. Even if you, you know, and they won thirty games last year. Even if you go five hundred in those games, that's a, now a five hundred team. You're now adding Jimmy Butler to that as well. So I, I could see them getting up to forty five, forty six. But that's probably a seven seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, um, I got them as an eight. I have them in the tournament, um, but I. It could I've got also them be... seven, Clippers eight at this point. Yeah. Okay. And Memphis on the outside looking in. Yeah, um, I got Minnesota. Um, Clippers 7 is other 8, yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to three teams. I don't think there's a lot of time to spend. We need to spend on these three. Um, the three teams that we, we're pretty confident won't make it, along with the Pelicans. Um, Sacramento Kings, I'm sure you've got a movie for them. But look, we, we I, I didn't mind the fact that they went out and got some veteran players, but not at the price they had to spend. So they've brought in Vince Carter, George Hill and Zach Randolph. 
Um, I get the point of people saying, look, this is not a term, this, these are not veterans that are going to win you a lot of games, but they're going to set up some sort of a culture. But sh- surely they could have, there was other veterans out there that could have helped on the culture side without costing this much money. I guess the, what, what they're trying to sell it as, I think, sort of reading between the lines, is these are contracts they can move if they need to, and maybe there'll be a market, particularly with George Hill, there may be a market for George Hill um, if they want to move on from that after a season. Um, Randolph and, and Carter, they're probably starting, well, I think Vince Carr was only one-year deal anyway, so um, they, they've got those guys on the books. But I felt like they could have done the same thing at less money and given themselves a little bit more flexibility going forward. But I guess it's one of those ones where you maybe you see how it plays out and maybe they're, they're, they've got plans that we're not understanding um, from this point of view. But what, what was your take on, on their off-season? Well, my movie metaphor for Sacramento is old school. And old school, <laughs> if you remember old school, is the uh, Will Ferrell and Luke Wilson, the 40-year-old guys, are in college – you know, having a, at a frat party. Yeah. I go, you got Zach Randolph and George Hill and Vince Carter coming in fucking old school. They're going to party with all the kids with Scal and Buddy and, and De'Aaron Fox. It is definitely old school. That is definitely the tenor. Their, their off season, I was ready to grade, you know, quite highly, whether we talked about before was with their draft and the way they turned into multiple picks and got, um, you know, Fox, Jackson, Giles, and Frank Mason, who I love. And I cannot fault them for cer- certainly the George Hill signing. Um, I think that says more about George Hill than it does the Sacramento Kings. You know, George Hill turning down an $80 million extension, thinking he's God's gift um, to the basketball kingdom, having love praise from all over the place. He's he's a Spurs guy or something, all this sort of, sort of rubbish, and he goes and plays another 49 games and quite replaceably and ends up on the fucking Kings, right? So it says more about George Hill than is about Sacramento. So I like the George Hill signing. I didn't get committing all that money. Not so much the money, but the multiple years, mm. right, to, to Vincent and Zach. I go, look at what, you know, fast forward um, to what just occurred with um, Toronto offloading Damari Carroll onto Brooklyn. So Brooklyn using its cap space to get a first-round pick and a second-round pick and a player in Damari Carroll who's only owed $30 million over the next two years. I go, that's how you make use of your cap space. So Vladi still hasn't gotten that lesson yeah. in how to use his cap space yet. So I don't like that he went and blew his wad on multiple-year deals for these guys, but I can't totally throw him under the bus for trying to bring some, you know, the Randolph and Carters of the world into town. I just don't know why he didn't do one-year deals. So yeah. uh, they get a slight downgrade. But look, to be fair, if, if Zach and Vince are, are perfectly healthy, um, they're probably pretty easy to move, you know, to a Cleveland, Golden State, San Antonio, Toronto, Boston. So they're probably pretty easy to move to your top six or seven teams in the league at the trade deadline. You know, maybe get a future second out of it or something or a draft and stash. So uh, I give them a bit of a it's OK, right? It's a bit of old school. I like the blend. I think they're going to lose a lot of games. Um, that's not that's not a hot take. Um, I like that they let their crap go. I'll be honest. I like what they didn't do. They let Faflalo, Collison, Evans, Galloway, Rudy. Mm. Who am I missing? Um, Macklemore, Tolliver. Let the whole cast of characters go, which I do like. Um, so there's a whole bunch of kids with a whole bunch of old dudes 
probably going to party and uh, <laughs> they'll be in, they'll be in the mix for a top two, top three pick. I could see them being a fun team to watch it to, from time to time as well. When especially if the young kids get up and about, you know, Scal and and De'Aaron Fox and uh, Willie Cauley Stein and these guys. So I, I could see them. You know, they're, they're a team that I'll be watching, and if they're in a close game, I'll be interested to flick over and see how they handle the fourth quarters um, in those games. So the, look, there's two teams left. I don't want to talk about either team. The, the Suns did nothing. They're they're staying with their young core. Um, the Lakers, I'm, I'm fucking sick and tired of hearing about the Lakers already. Um, I'm out on the Lonzo Ball era. I'm sick of it. I'm sick to death of it. Um, it's only going to get worse. So I, I, I refuse personally to talk about the Lakers, but I'm not sure if you've got anything to add on over those teams. I'm just going to call Phoenix the Bad News Bears, which might be an American-style movie, but it's a bunch of kids playing Little League, and uh, you know they're bad. <laughs> Yeah, I'll shout out you know, to my kind of, kids. Uh, they're a few they're the lovable losers, but uh, yeah, look, Phoenix is a lovable team. You like a lot of the personalities there. You know, they'll probably lose sixty games again. Um, that's okay. You know, they're they're on their path. So I got I at least tip my hat to the fact that they they didn't go and make some big ridiculous course correction or make some you know make a play for um, Paul Millsap or make even worse make a trade for Lamarcus or something. So they literally didn't sign a single player in free agency, didn't lose a single player. And um, look, we already talked about Josh Jackson, who I think is a, an interesting personality, volatile, but interesting. So nothing to add about Phoenix. They've just they literally done nothing in free agency. Yep. Okay. Well, look, we might leave it there. Um, and thanks for not touching on the Lakers yourself. So we'll leave part, we might end that as a part one, uh, and then we'll move on and talk about the Eastern Conference. I don't think the Eastern Conference is quite as fascinating um, as the Western Conference. We might be able to tune through that a bit quicker, but uh, we'll, we'll leave part one there and, and tune in for part two when we break down the Eastern Conference off-season so far.